Chapters thirty five and thirty six of The Avenger by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter thirty five. His wife. Wrayson drew a little breath and looked back at Sidney Barnes. You asked me a question, he said. I believe I have heard of your brother calling himself by some such name. Barnes grasped him by the arm. Look here, he said. Come and repeat that to the young lady over there. She's with me. It won't do you any harm. Wrayson rose to his feet, but before he could move he felt Hanage's hand fall upon his arm. Where are you going, Wrayson? he asked. Barnes looked up at him anxiously. His pale face seemed twisted into a scowl. Don't you interfere, he exclaimed. You've done me enough harm, you have. You let Mr. Wrayson pass. He's coming with me. Hanage took no more notice of him than he would of a yapping terrier. He looked over his head into Rayson's eyes. Rayson, he said, don't have anything more to do with this business. Take my advice. I know more than you do about it. If you go on, I swear to you that there is nothing but misery at the end. I know more than you think I do, Rayson answered quietly. I know more, indeed, than you have any idea of. If the end were in hell, I should not hold back. Hanage hesitated for a moment. He stood there with darkening face, an obstinate, almost a threatening figure. Passers-by looked with a gleam of interest at the oddly assorted trio, whose conversation was obviously far removed from the ordinary chatter of the loungers about the place. One or two made an excuse to linger by. It seemed possible that there might be developments. Hanage, however, disappointed them. He turned suddenly upon his heel and left the room. Those who had the curiosity to follow along the corridor saw him, without glancing to the right or to the left, descend the stairs and walk out of the building. He had the air of a man who abandons finally a hopeless task. The look of relief in Barnes' face as he saw him go was a ludicrous thing. He drew Rayson at once towards the corner. "'Queer thing about this girl,' he whispered in his ear. She ain't like the others about here. She just comes to make inquiries about a friend who's given her the chuck, and whose name she says was Howard. I believe it's Maury, she means. Just like him to take a toss name. Wait a moment before we speak to her, Rayson said. How did you find her out? She spoke to me, Barnes answered, asked me if my name was Howard, said I was a bit like the man she was looking for. Then I palled up to her, and I'm pretty certain Maury was her man. I want her to go to the flat with me and see his clothes and picture, but she's scared. Mr. Rayson, you might do me a good turn. She'd come if you'd go, too. Do you know why I am here tonight? Rayson asked. No, why? To meet that young woman of yours, Rayson answered. Barnes looked at him in amazement. What do you mean? he asked quickly. You don't know her, do you? His sallow cheeks were paler than ever. His narrow eyes, furtively raised to Rayson's, were full of inquisitive fear. "'No, I don't know her,' Rayson answered. "'But I rather fancy, all the same, that she is the young person whom I came here to meet to-night.' Barnes waited breathlessly for an explanation. He did not say a word, but his whole attitude was an insistent interrogation point. "'You remember,' Rayson said, "'that when you and I were pursuing these investigations together,' 
I made some inquiries of the woman at whose flat your brother called on the night of his murder. I saw her again at Denau yesterday, and she told me of this young person. She also evidently believed that the man for whom she was inquiring was your brother. Barnes nodded. She told me that she was to have met a gentleman tonight, he said. Here, we must go and speak to her now, or she'll think that something's up. He performed something that was meant for an introduction. Friend of mine, miss, he said, indicating Rayson, knew my brother well, lived in the flat just below him, in fact. Perhaps you'd like to ask him a few questions. There is only one question I want answered, the girl replied with straining eyes fixed upon Rayson's face and a little break in her tone. Shall I see him again? If Augustus was really his brother, where is he? What has happened to him? There was a moment's silence. Sidney Barnes had evidently said nothing as to his brother's tragic end. Rayson could see, too, that the girl was on the brink of hysterics and needed careful handling. "'We will tell you everything,' he said presently. "'But first of all we have to decide whether your Augustus Howard and Morris Barnes were the same person. I think that the best way for you to decide this would be to come home to my flat. Mr. Barnes is just above.' and I dare say you can recognize some of his brother's belongings if he really was your friend. She rose at once. She was perfectly willing to go. They left the place together and entered a four-wheeler. During the drive she scarcely opened her lips. She sat in a corner looking absently out of the window and nervously clasping and unclasping her hands. She answered a remark of Sidney Barnes without turning her head. I always watch the people, she said. Wherever I am, I always look out of the window. I have always hoped that I might see Augustus again that way. Rayson, from his seat in the opposite corner of the cab, watched her with growing sympathy. In her very conformity to type, she represented so naturally a real and living unit of humanity. Her poor commonplace prettiness was already on the wane, stamped out by the fear and trouble of the last few months. Yet inane though her features, lacking altogether strength or distinction, there was stamped into them something of that dumb, dog-like fidelity to some object which redeemed them from utter insignificance. Rayson, as he watched her, found himself thinking more kindly of the dead man himself. In his vulgar, selfish way he had probably been kind to her. He must have done something to have kindled this flame of dogged, persevering affection. Already he scarcely doubted that Morris Barnes and Augustus Howard had been the same person. Within a very few minutes of her entering the flats there remained no doubt at all. With a low moan, like a dumb animal mortally hurt, she sank down upon the nearest chair, clasping the photograph which Sidney Barnes had passed her in her hands. For a few moments there was silence. Then she looked up at Rayson. Her lips moved, but no words came. She began again. This time he was able to catch the indistinct whisper. "'Where is he?' Rayson took a seat by her side upon the sofa. "'You do not read the newspapers?' he asked. She shook her head. "'Not much. My eyes are not very good, and it tires me to read.' "'I am afraid,' he said gently, "'that it will be bad news.' A little sob caught in her throat. "'Go on,' she faltered. "'He is dead,' Rayson said simply. She fainted quietly away. 
Wrayson hurried downstairs to his own flat for some brandy. When he returned the girl was still unconscious. Her pocket was turned inside out, and the front of her dress was disordered. Sidney Barnes was bending close over her. Wrayson pushed him roughly away. "'You can wait at least until she is well,' he said contemptuously. Sidney Barnes was wholly unabashed. He watched Wrayson pour brandy between the girl's lips, bathe her temples, and chafe her hands. All the time he stood doggedly waiting close by. No considerations of decency or humanity would weigh with him for one single second. The fever of his great desire still ran like fire through his veins. He did not think of the girl as a human creature at all. Simply there was a pair of lips there which might point out to him the way to his paradise. She opened her eyes at last. Sidney Barnes came a step nearer, but Wrayson pushed him once more roughly away. "'You are feeling better?' he asked kindly. She nodded and struggled up into a sitting posture. "'Tell me,' she said, "'how did he die? It must have been quite sudden. Was it an accident, or—or—' He saw the terror in her eyes, and he spoke quickly. All the time he found himself wondering how it was that she was guessing at the truth. "'We are afraid,' he said, "'that he was murdered. It is surprising that you did not read about it in the papers.' She shook her head. "'I do not read much,' she said, "'and the name was different. Who was it that killed him?' "'No one knows,' he answered. "'When was it?' she asked. He told her the date. She repeated it tearfully. "'He was down with me the day before,' she said. "'He was terribly excited all the time, and I know that he was a little afraid of something happening to him. He had been threatened.' "'Do you know by whom?' Wrayson asked. She shook her head. "'He never told me,' she answered. "'He didn't tell me much. But he was very, very good to me. I was at the refreshment room at London Bridge when I first met him. He used to come in and see me every day.' Then he began to take me out, and at last he found me a little house down at Putney, and I was so happy. I had been so tired all my life, she added with a little sigh, and down there I did nothing but rest and rest and wait for him to come. It was too good to last, of course, but I didn't think it would end like this. Quietly but very persistently, Sidney Barnes insisted on being heard. "'It's my turn now,' he said, standing by Wrayson's side. "'Look here, miss, I'm his brother. You can see that, can't you?' "'You are something like him,' she admitted. "'Only he was much, much nicer to look at than you.' "'Never mind that,' he continued eagerly. "'I'm his brother, his nearest relative. Everything he left behind belongs to me.' "'Not quite everything,' she protested. "'What do you mean?' he asked sharply. "'You may be his brother.' she answered. But I, holding out her left hand a little nervously, I was his wife. End of chapter 35 Chapter 36 The Murdered Man's Effects Both men had been totally unprepared for the girl's timid avowal. To Rayson, however, after the first mild shock of surprise, it was of no special import. To Sidney Barnes, although he had made a speedy effort to grapple with the situation, it came very much as a thunderclap. "'You have your certificate?' he asked sharply. "'You were married properly in a church?' She nodded. "'We were married at Dulwich Parish Church,' she answered. "'It was nearly a year ago.' 
"'Very well,' Sidney Barnes said. "'It is lucky that I am here to look after your interest. We divide everything, you know.' She seemed about to cry. "'I want Augustus,' she murmured. "'He was very good to me.' "'Look here,' he said. "'Augustus always seemed to have plenty of oof, didn't he?' She nodded. "'He was very generous with it, too,' she declared. "'He gave me lots and lots of beautiful things.' His eyes traveled over her hands and neck, destitute of ornaments. "'Where are they?' he asked sharply. "'I've had to sell them,' she answered, "'to get along at all. I hated to, but I couldn't starve.' The young man's face darkened. "'Come,' he said, "'we'd better have no more secrets from one another. You know how to get at his money, I suppose?' She shook her head. "'Indeed, I don't know anything about it,' she declared. "'You must know where it came from,' he persisted. "'I don't,' she repeated. "'Indeed I don't. He never told me, and I never asked him. I understood that he had made it in South Africa.' Sidney Barnes wiped the perspiration from his forehead. "'Look here,' he said in a voice which, notwithstanding his efforts to control it, trembled a little. "'This is a very serious matter for us. You don't want to go back to the refreshment bar again, do you?' "'I don't care what I do,' she answered dully. "'I hated that, but I shall hate everything now that he is gone.' "'It's only for a day or two you'll feel like that,' he declared. "'We've got a right, you and I, to whatever Morrie left behind. And whatever happens I mean to have my share. Look around you.' It was not an inspiring spectacle. The room was dirty and almost devoid of furniture. "'All that I've had out of it so far,' he declared, "'is free quarters here. The rent's paid up to the end of the year. I've had to sell the furniture bit by bit to keep alive. It was a cheap lot, cheap and showy, and it fetched jolly little. Morey always did like to have things that looked worth more than he gave for them. Even his jewelry was a sham, every bally bit of it. There wasn't a real pearl or a real diamond amongst the lot but there's no doubt about the money. I've had the bank book. He was worth a cool two thousand a year, was Morrie. That's five hundred each quarter day, you understand, and somewhere or other there must be the bonds or securities from which this money came. He never kept them here, I'll swear to that. Therefore they must be somewhere that you ought to know about. She nodded wearily. Very likely, she said. I have a parcel he gave me to take care of. The effect of her simple words on Barnes was almost magical. The dull color streamed into his sallow cheeks. He shook all over with excitement. His voice when he spoke was almost hysterical. He had been so near to despair. This, indeed, had been almost his last hope. A parcel, he gasped. A parcel. What sort of a parcel? Did he say that it was important? It's just a long envelope tied up with red tape and sealed, she answered. "'Yes, he made a great fuss about leaving it with me.' "'Tell us all about it,' he demanded greedily. "'Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, be quick!' "'It must have been almost the very day it happened,' she said with a little shudder. "'He came down in the afternoon, and he seemed a bit queer, as though he had something on his mind. He took out the envelope once or twice and looked at it. Once he said to me, "'Agnes,' he said, "'there are men in London who, if they knew that I carried this with me, would kill me for it. I was frightened, and I begged him to leave it somewhere. I think he said that he had to have it always with him, because he couldn't think of a safe hiding place for it. Just as he was going, though, he came back and took it out of his pocket once more. "'He left it with you?' Barnes exclaimed. "'You have it safe?' She nodded. "'I was going to tell you. Look here, Agnes,' he said. "'I'm nervous tonight. 
I don't want to carry this about with me. I shall want it tomorrow, and I'll come down for it. Tonight's a dangerous night for me to be carrying it about. Those were just about his last words. He gave me the packet, and I begged him to be careful. Then he kissed me, and off he went, smoking a cigar, and as cheerful as though he were going to a wedding. She began to cry again, but Barnes broke in upon her grief. "'Didn't he tell you anything more about it?' he demanded. "'He told me, if anything happened to him,' she sobbed, "'to open it.' "'We must do so,' he declared. "'We must do so at once. There must be a quarter's dividends overdue.' We can get money tomorrow, and then, oh, my God, he exclaimed, as though the very anticipation made him faint. Where is the packet? At the bottom of my tin trunk in my rooms, she answered. I had to leave the house. I couldn't pay the rent any longer. Where are the rooms, he demanded. We'll go there now. In Labrador Street, she answered. It's a poor part, but I've only a few shillings in the world. We'll have a cab, he declared, rising. Mr. Rayson will lend us the money, perhaps. "'I will come with you,' Rayson said quietly. "'We needn't bother you to do that,' Sidney Barnes declared, with a suspicious glance. The young woman looked towards him appealingly. He nodded reassuringly. "'I think,' he said, "'that it will be better for me to come. I am concerned in this business after all, you know.' "'I don't see how,' Barnes declared sullenly. "'If this young lady is my sister-in-law, surely she and I can settle up our own affairs.' Rayson stood with his back to the door, facing them. "'I hope,' he said, "'that you will not, either of you, be disappointed in what you find in that packet. But I think it is only right to warn you. I have reason to believe that you will not find any securities or bonds there at all. I think that you will find that packet to consist of merely a bundle of old letters and a photograph.' Barnes spat upon the floor. He was shaking with fright and anger. I don't believe it, he declared. What can you know about it? Rayson shrugged his shoulders. Look here, he said. The matter is easily settled. We will put this young lady in a cab, and she shall bring the packet to my flat below. You and she shall open it, and if you find securities there, I have no more to say except to wish you both luck. If, on the other hand, you find the letters, it will be a different matter. The girl had risen to her feet. I would rather go alone, she said. If you will pay my cab, I will bring the packet straight back. Rayson and Barnes waited in the former's flat. Barnes drank two brandy and sodas and walked restlessly up and down the room. Rayson was busy at the telephone and carried on a conversation for some moments in French. Directly he had finished, Barnes turned upon him. Whom are you talking to? he demanded. A friend of yours, he answered. I have asked her to come round for a few minutes. A friend of mine? The Baroness. The color burned once more in his cheeks. He looked down at his attire with dissatisfaction. I didn't want to see her again just yet, he muttered. Rayson smiled. She won't look at your clothes, he remarked, and I rather want her here. Barnes was suddenly suspicious. What for? he demanded. What has she got to do with the affair? I won't have strangers present. "'My young friend,' Rayson said, "'I may just as well warn you that I think you are going to be disappointed. I am almost certain that I know the contents of that packet. You will find that it consists, as I told you before, not of securities at all, but simply a few old letters.' Barnes' eyes narrowed. "'Whatever they are,' he said, "'they meant a couple of thousand a year to Morrie, 
and they were worth his life to somebody. How do you account for that, eh?' "'You want the truth?' Wrayson asked. "'Yes.' "'Your brother was a blackmailer.' The breath came through Barnes' teeth with a little hiss. He realized his position almost at once. He was trapped. He walked up to Wrayson's side. His voice shook, but he was in deadly earnest. "'Look here,' he said. "'The contents of that packet, whatever they may be, are mine, mine and hers. You have nothing to do with the matter at all. I will not have you in the room when they are opened.' Wrayson shrugged his shoulders. "'The packet will be opened here,' he said, "'and I shall certainly be present.' Barnes ground his teeth. "'If you touch one of those papers or letters, or whatever they may be, you shall be prosecuted for theft,' he declared. "'I swear it.' Wrayson smiled. "'I will run the risk,' he declared. "'Ah, Baroness, this is kind of you,' he added, throwing open the door and ushering her in. "'There is a young friend of yours here who is dying to renew his acquaintance with you.' She smiled delightfully at Sidney Barnes and threw back her cloak. She had just come in from the opera, and diamonds were flashing from her neck and bosom. Her gown was exquisite, the touch of her fingers an enchantment. It was impossible for him to resist the spell of her presence. "'You have been very unkind,' she declared. "'You have not been to see me for a very long time. I do not think that I shall forgive you. What do you say, Mr. Rayson? Do you think that he deserves it? Wrayson smiled as he threw open the door once more. He felt that the next few minutes might prove interesting. End of chapter 36 Recording by Tom Weiss TomsAudiobooks.com